first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the phone? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. listening appreciate your time today's episode is a very fun one matt pachipachi is my guest i only had to practice how to say matt's name uh i don't know seven or eight times in the mirror before i recorded this i think i got it down matt you can let me know but uh a valiant effort on my part matt pachipachi on the show today so matt is an interesting case because uh just a couple of weeks ago at the end of january january 26th to uh be specific matt decided to come out on instagram he posted a photo of him and his boyfriend as sort of a you know opening up to the world he had never really talked about it publicly and and decided to do it in a very public way matt is a former professional soccer player he was uh signed as a goaltender for the columbus crew played soccer at davidson mostly where he was an all-american we talk all about this we talk about his collegiate career signing with the crew in columbus in the mls and then uh the unfortunate end the early end to his soccer playing career we talk about all of that but you know it, it was fun to talk to matt so freshly out of the closet it's it, it's been a wild couple of weeks for him as you'll hear him say he has a really great story and i think a, a really wonderful message for doing things your way and, and doing things in your time so it really was fun to get to chat with matt uh about his his upbringing and his college career and where he is now and really in some ways as you'll hear uh how an injury the injury that ended his soccer career uh, a very scary one that we get into detail about uh really has allowed him to get to where he is now so i really enjoyed my my chat with matt matt pachifici thank you uh, hope you enjoyed as well. Uh, so enough of me. Let's get to Matt. Here it is, my one-on-one chat with Matt Pachifici. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm, I'm excited to chat with you. Certainly, you know, your name's been bopping around here lately, and I, I'm happy we're, we're getting some time to chat and to, uh, to learn more about you. Yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting last couple of weeks. A lot a lot going on, a lot of moving pieces, but it's been an exciting time, and um, you know the support's been more than I could have ever imagined. So it's kind of blown up in ways that I didn't really expect or intend it to. But, um, but yeah, it's been. A- That's great. So let's let's get there eventually. Let's go back, if you don't mind. Can you tell me just a little bit about where you grew up and and what kind of kid you were like? Yeah, so I grew up in Charlotte. Um, essentially, lived here my whole life, including college, because I went to college at Wake Forest, which is, you know, an hour and a half away, and then transferred to Davidson, which is right. even closer, about thirty minutes north of Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, 
so yeah, I was very much kind of your student athlete kid growing up as far as, you know, made pretty good grades and kept my head down, wasn't the most social. Um, and then when I wasn't, you know, hitting the books, I was playing soccer. Um, I played soccer since I was four and I've just really had those two competing interests, um, throughout my life and I still do. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what you know, seized most of my childhood. Did you play any other sports other than soccer or was soccer just the one that you threw everything into? I love every single sport except maybe baseball. Um, okay. could never get into baseball, but, um, yeah, I played basketball all the way up until high school. Um, so always, I was always a pretty tall kid. I've been yeah. like the same height since I was like 10, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> how, t- wait, how, was, tall are, how tall are you now? I'm about 6'2". Okay. All right. Yeah. Tall guy. Yeah. So nice as a goalkeeper and nice for basketball. Um, but yeah, so I played basketball and soccer. And then once soccer started to kind of take off and I saw some opportunities there, I uh, let basketball just kind of go by the wayside and yeah, stuck with soccer. Were you always a goalie? No. Um, so I was about 11 or 12. It's actually a funny story. And my dad had coached me throughout my entire life. And I broke my foot. So I was wearing one of those big, clunky, black orthopedic boots. And <laughs> okay. But because my dad was the coach, I still went to practice. Oh, so nice. I went to practice and either the goalkeeper wasn't there that day or at that age, you don't even really have a permanent goalkeeper. Right. And so he was kind of just like, ah, just go and goal and just like kind of, you don't, you don't even have to try, but just be like an object for the guys to aim around. (laughs) Yeah. I like how he put you in net when you have this boot on your foot after breaking. (laughs) Um, and they had a hard time scoring partly because I was big, I guess, but, um, Yeah, it was really weird. I just kind of, as I got healthy, I kind of played on the field, but also started to like have that developing interest of being a goalkeeper. And to me, it was just like a very different part of the game um, that I enjoyed seeing both, you know, as a field player and as a goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, And then just kind of growing into my body um, earlier than everyone else did, it just seemed to make a lot of sense. I was never the, you know, the fastest or most athletic guy. so yeah. yeah, it was something that started to come slowly. I know that I'm a big hockey guy and I know that goalies in hockey sort of have a reputation for being maybe a little bit weird or a little bit off. Does the same sort of stereotype exist in soccer? For sure. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> just haven't been around. Play into so it? I would like to think I don't. <laughs> that's uh, what they all say though, Matt. Yeah, that's what they all say. But I've had other teammates and be like, oh, Always like coming up joking me, oh, you're like pretty normal for a goalkeeper. I'm be like, I guess I'll take that as a compliment. You're like, thanks? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, cool. So when, you, when you're playing in high school and, and you're obviously getting very good and you're thinking about secondary steps, did you ever what was the, what was the decision process like for going to college? Did you look at schools outside the state? Did you even think about that? Um, it's pretty funny. I don't know why, but I think – Looking back, it was honestly probably something to do with their basketball team, um, with Chris Paul having gone there, with Tim oh, Duncan sure. having gone there. But Wake Forest was always my first choice since I could remember as a kid. Yeah, and and they happened to win the national championship in soccer the year before. So this would have been like my sophomore year of high school, the year before I committed. Um, so to me, I was like, oh, I've always loved this school, and now they're number one team in the country. Like, why would I not do yeah, that? That's a no brainer. 
Exactly. Um, so it's funny. I actually I was always very young for my grade. So I committed to Wake Forest when I was only 15. Wow. And then went into school at 17. Wow. Uh, um, so I think, you know, 15's probably a little bit too young for anyone to make, you know, oh, a big decision cr- like that. Um, it is, it is looking back on it. And I don't, you know, I ended up transferring for a whole host of different reasons. I mean, I still look back at Wake pretty fondly. Um, but yeah, so looking back on that, it was definitely maybe a little early to make a decision, but it was nice, you know, in high school, not having to worry as much your junior and senior year and stuff oh, like for that. Sure. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, what, what was the biggest motiv- motivating factor for, for transferring? Um, so I actually got hurt. I obviously got hurt at both levels professionally and in college, but I and was hurt. And also when you were 10, and that's how you became a goalie. Exactly. Just a, a history of injuries here. Yeah, man. Um, but yeah, so I got hurt the second day of preseason at Wake Forest, tore a bunch of ligaments in my wrist, which... Obviously, for a field player, it doesn't matter, but for a goalkeeper, it does. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of sidelined with that, and just you know, just didn't seem like the right fit. There was a couple older guys that were also very successful goalkeepers that went on to play in the MLS. Um, and I think like a lot of freshmen, I came in like, oh yeah, I'm going to be the starter for four years. Like, it's a very common mentality to have for freshmen, especially ambitious ones that go to sure. big schools. Like. And then realizing that I wasn't going to be as happy if I didn't play it, then, you know, I was looking for other schools, Davidson being close and also a very good academic school. I didn't want to give up anything academically. Um, yeah. So it just seemed like kind of a perfect fit. And, you know, Davidson's a little bit smaller and less known of a, of a school in general, but of a pro soccer program for sure. Yeah. Um, but honestly, it was an amazing decision. I think my time at Davidson you know, I always wonder if I had only played a year or two at Wake, would I have had the opportunity to play professionally? Right. Even though it's a better program, per se. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I look back on both schools pretty fondly because at the end of the day, it worked out and I got, you know, a good degree and was able to play. So it what'd all worked you, out. What did you get your degree in? I was in economics and Spanish double major at Davidson. Okay. You don't need to brag. <laughs> Economics and wow, that's pretty. Uh, that's fancy. Good for you. I had to take one econ class in college, and uh, I think barely passed. So uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was definitely the harder of the two majors. I always joke that you know where econ brought my GPA down, Spanish kind of brought it back up because that was something that I always was really comfortable with. Wait, why, uh, why Spanish? Um, you know, a whole host of different reasons. I think, you know, being in the game of soccer, I've had tons of Hispanic teammates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, cool. It's something I've always been around. I mean, my best two friends were twins growing up, were Hispanic. Um, my brother's actually fully Hispanic. He's adopted. Um, so I've, it's just always really been a neat part of my life. It's always been around me in different ways. Um, so, yeah, it just was something that I was already pretty comfortable with. So I was like, why not turn that into something and make a degree out of it as well? That's super cool. So when you're, so when you're at Davidson and, and you're playing soccer and things are going very well for you, how much is your sexuality coming into play at all just personally? Are, are you out to yourself? Are you out to any teammates? Can you walk me through where you sort of are? Uh, I was out to no one, including myself. Um, and I think when especially at a school like Davidson that is very rigorous academically and then being an athlete you're so 
kind of caught up in this velocity of everything else going around you that you don't even like prioritize yourself in a way. Sure. Um, so you're so headstrong about, you know, studying for this test or you're on the road and you have a game and then you have to study for a test on the way home. And it's just, I felt like I was always going 110 miles per hour that I didn't have the time to step back and really think about it. And then when I was, I would say in social settings, um, and I've said this to a lot of my friends just in the last couple of weeks who have reached out is that, you know, it was almost so much more of a high that you would get off of being able to play the part of a student athlete at school and having a girlfriend or mm. being successful by, you know, society's, you know, whatever they deem regular, being able to fit that kind of model was almost, um, more important to me at the time than being honest with myself and realizing yeah um so and you know of course you don't think that when you're going through it it's just a very subconscious kind of process i mean are, do you know i mean in your subconscious in your head do you know that you're gay or are you working through this uh you know sort of at the same time oh yeah i definitely knew i've, I've probably known since i was 12 somewhere yeah. in there um but i think you just kind of stifle a lot of that intentionally but also subconsciously um when it you know obviously that's contradictory but um well no, i mean that makes sense you can bring it up and you can think about it but then it becomes such a habit i guess that you can stifle it almost without without thinking um so yeah and, and not that that's the healthiest way to approach it for sure i certainly wouldn't recommend it um but and then you have the locker room piece as well. You have the masculinity piece of being surrounded with 28 other guys, being a captain of a team for two years. Sure. Um, so there was just so many other, you know, it's kind of like a perfect storm of things going on that, you know, attributed to that. But at the same time, I joke with the guys the last two weeks, they're all like, oh, like, I wish you would have felt comfortable doing this back then. And I, I would have, absolutely. Like, I couldn't imagine a better group that would have just taken it in stride and, you know, not cared any less. Yeah, that's uh, great. So in the past couple of weeks, some of your guys from Davidson have reached out and, and, and been positive? For sure. I've talked to my teammates from club before college. I've talked to my college teammates. I've talked to professional teammates. And everyone's been 100% on board. And Almost, I think they feel some regret for maybe things that they've said in passing, just as jokes, or right. that I didn't feel comfortable enough to do it then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been awesome talking yeah. to them, and but it was really important for me to reaffirm to them that um, you know it's nothing that they did per se, or it wasn't yeah. some sort of toxic culture. Um, I think that's what everyone jumps to, and they're like, "Oh, what did I do wrong that prevented him from being able to do this?" When in reality, it was just much more of an individual journey that I kind of had to maneuver through. Yeah, I think in having conversations on this podcast with people and, and of course, going through my own thing, you really realize that everybody goes through it in their own time frame. And it, it is such a specific journey to each specific person. And I think there is that tendency for people in lives to, you know, to say, you know, I, I wish you would have felt comfortable telling me, or I wish you would have told me sooner, or, or what, you know, did you think that I was a homophobe? Like, how dare you? And it's, I, I think the more that we can work to sort of squash those, you know, 
those triggers for people, I think the better because it, it really is just such a personal thing, you know? And, and I think, you know, however long it takes or, or, or whatever the circumstances are, I think it's important for sort of straight allies as well to realize that, you know, there's nothing they really could have done to push you or I or anybody else out. It really is just such a specific journey that people need to experience for themselves. For sure. And, and there's just so many stereotypes that, you know, surround gay athletes in sports um you know it's funny and and of course what do you you mean i just in the last couple weeks and then of course they don't mean anything you know negative by it but i've heard like oh this was such a surprise because you know we always viewed you as pretty masculine as if you cannot be masculine and athlete and gay or that they're mutually exclusive sure um so just things like that or things like I've heard, oh, well, you have like a relatively like deeper raspy voice. I'm like, okay, like what does that have anything? I mean, <laughs> just like just like crazy things. Um, yeah, but it, it's it's important for people like you to you know to be where you are now, where you can show people that hey, like yeah, I have a deep voice. Yeah, maybe I'm more of a masculine guy. That I'm not hiding anything. This is who I am. I think the fact that you can go back and look at your teammates in the eye and say, hey, like this was me the entire time. Now you just have a little bit more knowledge about who I am. I think that's so important moving forward. Um, you know, and why people like you were so important, why those stories are so important is because you can say, Hey, I was the same person this entire time, you know, right. I'm and, not and that's a new person now. Right. And that's something that I definitely pride myself on. You know, I look back and, you know, not that I'm ashamed or regret waiting to 24 to come out, but 24 uh, is really, I mean, 24 is not that late. It, it's not, it's not. And there's, you know, obviously people that, you know, wait until way later, but, um, you know, certainly I look back on it and think, you know, what if I would have done earlier, but at the same time, I realized that I exactly like you said, I am and always have been the same person, be that around guys in a locker room or my friends or in a professional setting. Um, so it's not like I've now gotten to 24, come out and then just drastically changed. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, you're the same old Matt. Exactly. So did you, did you come out at all during college when you graduated? Had you come out to yourself yet? Um, I think I, again, kind of had subconsciously told myself that, and again, I went to a very conservative Southern school with only with less than two thousand people. So I didn't realize small. I didn't realize Davidson was that small. It is. You know, a lot of people haven't heard of Davidson, but the people that do always hear of it for the basketball program or yeah, stuff. I was, gonna, I was gonna say, I know, yeah, one person in particular. Right. Exactly. So I feel like some, you know, not a ton of people know much about Davidson as a school, but yeah, it's um, in the town of Davidson. It's a really small but beautiful campus. Um, but yeah, it is a classic Southern private conservative school. Um, and I didn't really know anyone that had come out at, at Davidson, which I think for this day and age to not know anyone on any college campus that has come out is rare. Yeah. Um, so I think I had subconsciously told myself that, you know, I would wait to the end of college and just kind of feel things out. Um, and I think of course, like a lot of people do, you, give yourself every opportunity you can to almost convince yourself that you could be straight or live a heteronormative life. Yeah, sure. Until you just really don't see any other option. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
but then that I was able to, you know, have this opportunity to play with Columbus right after school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt like I was so on the border of, you know, being in that atmosphere where, you know, one false step, that could have been a bad training session or it could have been, you know, any, a whole host of things, but I didn't want to do anything or put myself in any situation that could contribute to me being on the outside looking in. Um, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, so you're conscious of this. So, you know, you're in the MLS now and you're thinking to yourself, I, I can't come out because it might ruin my career. Right. And, and again, it's not like anyone in the locker room ever said anything. It's not like I felt like any of the coaches or management was homophobic. That's certainly not the case at all. Yeah. Um, it's just much more of a perception thing. And especially as a rookie as well, it's like, you just got there. Like why? Yeah. I mean, I imagine there's this feeling of like, okay, I need to get my bearings here before I sort of start ruffling any feathers. I mean, for, you know, for lack of a better term, but you know what I mean? It's like, all right, I just want to at least try to make a name for myself here. Yeah. I mean, the classic thing is for rookies to just kind of work hard and keep your head down. And I definitely worked hard, but I figured like this would have been the opposite of keeping your head down is to yeah. bring this sort of attention to yourself. And and it would have blown up, especially as a, I mean, we saw what has happened in the last two weeks, but if yeah. I was to be a current player or an active player still, I mean, it would have been triple that. So, yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we've seen what's happened with Colin Martin last year and what's happened with, you know, with, with guys before him with Robbie and whoever else, I think it's, you know, it's. I think people underestimate what it takes to weather that storm. You know, I because I, of course, you know, the question that gets asked all the time uh, and has been asked on this podcast is, you know, why aren't there more out athletes in in the major sports leagues? And I think you look at what happens to people's lives uh, after it happens, after they choose to come out, and you take a step back and you think, wow, like, and it's been difficult. Yeah, things are ne- yeah, things are never going to be the same for for these people. So, so before we get to uh, to your coming out uh, in the last couple of weeks, can you just at least briefly walk me through what happened at the end of uh, of your time in Columbus? Because I, I sort of know the story, but I like to hear you tell it. Yeah, for sure. So definitely a very weird kind of sequence of events. Um, so I had finished all my classes at Davidson in the fall of 2015. But like I said, Davidson's a really small school, so you don't have graduation. It's just you don't have a December graduation. You just have one. There's no uh, graduation well, ceremony? There is in May, not a December graduation. Okay, I see. There's so few December graduates. So what anyway. What do they do? Just like say, hey, Basically, they just job. like view a piece of paper in December, and they're like, okay, come back and walk with the rest of the group in May. Oh, did you? So I'm – what was that? Did you go back in May? I did. So that's where it gets kind of funny and ironic. Um, so I've been with the crew from January all the way into May now. And the coach lets me fly home that weekend so that I can go walk and be part of the graduation ceremony, which was, you know, the coach at the time was Greg Burhalter, who's now the U.S. Men's National Coach. Um, he was a great guy and able to let me get away from that. Uh, let me get away to go to graduation that weekend. And so I walk on Sunday, fly back for training Monday morning. And there's about five minutes left in training. And like I said, I'm a goalkeeper. So I came for a low ball. And you know, a lot of forwards will try to jump to avoid contact, especially in training. And for whatever reason, the guy who is no longer with the team, I won't name any names, uh, (laughs) just kind of missed his jump. Honestly, he didn't do it intentionally. 
Um, just really missed his jump, and I got a nice shin to the forehead, Ugh. and then forehead kind of back into the ground with like the whiplash motion. Um, I honestly felt okay. We only had about five or ten minutes of training left, so finished that up, and then I got back into the locker room, and just something was, you know, you know, all the screws came loose, and the classic kind of concussion symptoms as far as not really knowing where you are, just feeling dizzy, um, emotional, like weird, your classic kind of, that is um, so scary. It is. And I had only had one diagnosed concussion before as an athlete. And especially as a goalkeeper, you take hits all the time. So there could have been other like minor ones along the way, but only one really kind of severe one. Um, so this was kind of new territory for me. And like every other league now, there's a very, you know, regimented concussion protocol. Yeah. So I had to go, I think, 48 hours symptom free. Then you would graduate to a stationary bike. You would have to do that. You would have to run. Then you would have to get into like um, position specific skills and then full training. Um, so I had made it off the stationary bike and I was scheduled to run. So it was literally supposed to be a five minute jog and like a cool Columbus cloudy day. So it shouldn't be that strenuous. Yeah. And everything we did throughout the year was heart rate monitored. Um, so I'm now about two minutes into my five minute jog and I just get a crazy pulsing headache and the trainer pulls me over and he's like, we need you to stop your heart rates at 203. Whoa. And yeah. So I forget the exact equation but it's something like 220 minus your age is supposed to be your maximum heart rate so at the time my maximum heart rate was supposed to be about 198 wow and you know that's the great thing that was kind of a blessing in all of this is you know if this would have happened at davidson there was no you know scientific anything going on we weren't wearing heart rate monitors they didn't have yeah, any sort yeah. of fact but they had been tracking my heart rate throughout the year. So they looked back at preseason and during preseason and a hundred year weather in Florida, my heart rate was only 192 at like the peak that it's ever been. Wow. So they're like, okay, something's going on. Like this guy was doing a super light jog on a cold day. Um, so basically without getting into all the kind of weeds here, I traveled all over the country over the course of the next couple of months trying to figure out what exactly was going wrong. Um, so went to back home to see doctors that work with the Carolina Panthers, uh, went to Vanderbilt's autonomic dysfunction center, ended up at the Mayo clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, so I was seeing, you know, some of the best doctors in the U S and I was diagnosed with post-concussive postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Of course. Yeah, exactly. Which is a really severe and fancy way of saying that. Anytime I go from a sitting or lying position to a standing position, my heart rate jumps more than it should. Okay. So for a normal person, your heart, your resting heart rate is probably a 65 ish, 60 to 70, somewhere in there. And then you stand up and maybe it gets to 75. Right. For me as a well-conditioned athlete, I was, my resting heart rate was about 50 and I would stand up and it would get over a hundred. Wow. Um, so what happens is you just develop these like pulsing kind of headaches, you get lightheaded upon standing. Um, and it's just this really rare, technically it's a syndrome, um, disease, whatever you want to call it. It's idiopathic in most people, but it's also triggered by, um, like head traumas or surgery. So a lot of people will get it after like a car accident. If wow. they get 
a whiplash motion in a car accident. Something just kind of, you know, triggers the nervous system and there's this little bit of a fallout. Um, so we went through this whole phase of, you know, is he going to be able to play? Is he not going to be able to play? And at the end of the day, all but basically one doctor. And granted, at this point, I've seen probably 50 different doctors. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, you're seeing because you have to see a cardiologist. You have to see, you know, a heart specialist. You have to see a neurologist. You have to see, um, you know, physiatrist. You must be going crazy. I basically was, and especially when you had just gotten to the professional level to oh have this God. happen, it was kind of like a, you know, really, like now of all times. That's brutal. Um, so, yeah, didn't know if I was going to be able to play or not for quite a while, and eventually, after most doctors telling me that it would be wise to step away, I was like, you know what, I have two degrees from a good school, I shouldn't jeopardize any of that any further. Um so decided to make the uh, decision to step away from it. And ironically, that was the first time in my life that I had had the time to just kind of sit back and assess who I wanted to be. Um, and it's really given me that freedom to kind of get more comfortable with myself. You know, I, I went through a workers comp process where I wasn't allowed to work anywhere else. Um, so I was kind of tied. I was kind of in like a state of limbo for a little bit. Wow. Yeah. Uh, just uh, sitting there brewing on my thoughts all day. So <laughs> that could uh, be that could be a dangerous place to be. It, yeah, it could, but it, it was really just, you know, is it ironic, coincidental that it led to what it's led to in the last couple of weeks? I don't know, but um, wow. So but, I mean, but so saying, no, sorry, go but, ahead. But the saying, you know, everything happens for a reason. When I got hurt, I had heard that. Literally, you would tell the story and they'd be like, oh, it's okay. Everything happens for a reason. And like, you're like, shut you know, up. <laughs> I literally, I started to hate that saying. And then someone said it to me a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, whoa. You're like, a genius. Yeah. Like, that's pretty brilliant. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, who knows? But very interesting and kind of unorthodox journey to get here but so where where do you stand with the syndrome now i mean is it something you have to deal with for the rest of your life yes um so there's no cure it's you know the mayo clinic was great i, th I think i went up there for like a nine-day stay they ran like a battery of 37 tests um to confirm everything and yeah it's something that most people will deal with their whole life and it's much more of a management thing than it is a you know can't just wave a wand and wish it could away. But, right. um, but honestly, I would say just within the last couple months, I've made some good progress. I take a beta blocker just to kind of like cap heart rate, just like a whiff of a dose, nothing crazy. Um, I mean, can you like exercise? I mean, how much does it limit you? I can. So the doctors actually recommend exercise as the best way to, you know, kind of get the cardio system going. Um, and I actually feel better on days that I exercise, but you know, certain days are harder than others. It's, there's doesn't really seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. Um, one area I really struggled with early on was sleeping because, um, it's essentially, I won't get into the details of it, but your fight or flight response is being triggered too much is essentially what's happening. So I would wake up, you know, every 45 minutes at night, just not being able to fully get any restorative sleep or REM sleep. Um, but I finally got into a cycle that um, is, you know, been proving to be a little bit more manageable. And honestly, I think getting into 
a new city and being able to work now and things like that will honestly help. Um, cause you know, the more and more you think about any sort of health problems, the more you're going to feel it. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I think being able to get in some more normalcy back to my life will really continue to help me. So you, you have all this time to think. And so when do you get to the point where you say, okay, I, uh, am gay and I need to come out and, and, and how did that sort of start to show itself initially? I mean, in terms of telling friends or family, did you do any of that before you posted it on Instagram? For sure. So yeah, I wouldn't just quite shock my family like that. <laughs> well, you know, I, you, you'd be surprised. I've heard some uh, sto- people do for sure. I've heard some sure. stories on here. Um, so it was funny. I, this was last March. I was having lunch with my mom and she was talking to me about something across the table. And for whatever reason, I was just not having any of it. I was just like totally in a world of my own. And she said something to me, just completely irrelevant. And I just like, not even like snap back, but just got super moody and like, just like randomly like started crying, I think. And I'm like, not a very emotional person. Um, and she was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And you know, it's not like I woke up that morning, like, Oh, today's the day. Yeah. Um, it just felt like everything had kind of accumulated to that point where it just, you know, the dam had to break. Yeah, I know. I, I understand that. Yeah. So that's kind of how it first got out. Told so you told her, your mom over lunch? Yes, I did. How, how did that go? It went well. She's been great. My family's honestly been great, which, you know, makes you hear a lot of stories where things don't go great. And I think that's part of what scares people to do it. Um but honestly, I mean, I think it was a surprise for them. Don't get me wrong, but were, I think really, that actually, were, was your mom surprised. Yeah, they were both shocked. That's interesting. Uh, I think that's the first time I, I feel like every time I talk to somebody on here and we have the conversation about, you know, how does your family react? I think every single person says, well, my mom, of course, knew. So I think you're the, I think you're the first person. Yeah. Um, you know, I dated girls and throughout high school and college. Um so I'm sure that was a, a piece of it. Um, sure that was a but honestly, I think, I think the fact that they were surprised made their reaction that much better, that they were that yeah, shocked, yeah, but also that's... able to still process it. And, and like everything, it takes a little bit of time to, you know, an exposure to it. You know, I don't think my family had had much exposure to it. So the more they've been around that and around my boyfriend and things like that, I think it's even gotten better and better. And it just kind of amplifies once you're around it and you realize, Oh, it's like actually not that weird. Like they're pretty normal people and yeah. a pretty normal relationship. Yeah. I, I mean, know. being, a, being able to normalize it for people who aren't used to it and haven't been around it much in their lives is such a rewarding experience. You know, like I've, I'm sure you've experienced that a lot in the, in the past year, but you know, just being around people who really, if it wasn't for me, you know, maybe wasn't for you, uh, they don't have exposure to this sort of thing. You know, I, I think a lot of people, and you can probably speak to this too, um, I, I'm sure you were like the first gay people a lot of people met, a lot of people knew in your family or your hometown. For sure. Um, and yeah, so like Wake Forest, Davidson, both conservative schools. Charlotte is a pretty conservative place, I would say, in general. So it's funny just having been up in New York back and forth the last couple months. Oh my, I didn't uh, even think about that. I mean, you're getting, you're really getting into it now. Yeah. And it's funny because I'll tell people, you know, yeah, like in New York, it would be rare if you couldn't see two guys holding hands and they'd be like, oh yeah, like you're exaggerating. I'm like, um, come up and see it for yourself. Like, I know. 
It really uh, is. It really is that way. Like I, when I have friends come to visit me now here in LA, maybe from Michigan or, or, or someplace else, and it's no shade to Michigan or any place else, but it's or, or my friends who say something like this, but they're like, "Wow, it's I'm not used to seeing like gay couples like." loving freely on the street i'm not used to seeing them holding hands just out in the open like that and i'm like what i'm like oh yeah. right like I, I i take it for granted now i'm so lucky so yeah it's it's fun to hear you say that because you know living in la now for so long myself it you become accustomed to stuff like that and, and you do you know learn to take it for granted for sure for sure so let's get to this instagram post i am i'm looking at it as we speak there's a picture of you and your boyfriend dirk and it says what do you mean I didn't tell you? Now, walk me through this, Matt. Walk me through the decision-making process to pose this. Is this like spur of the moment? Are you? Was there planning involved in this? Please please walk me through. <laughs> yeah, so it was definitely very, very calculated. Um, it's something we had been thinking about doing for a, a while, but wanted to do it when it felt right, not rush anything or anything like that. Um, so he had also come out to his family about a month after we started dating. Um, How long have you guys been together? We've been together eight months. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and yeah, so it was, you know, I guess I shouldn't say obviously, but it was for me, he's my first serious relationship with a guy and I'm the same for him. So I felt like that's one really neat thing about our relationship is that we're, you know, kind of going through those milestones at the same time and being able to come out is obviously a big one in that kind of journey. Um, yeah, huge. but yeah, so I had always been brewing on and I'd seen like other people, like for example, when Colin came out, he posted a picture and then you could swipe and then it was like a longer like paragraph explaining kind of the situation. And, you know, I think not that we like went in and studied like public coming out, but, um, you did your homework, but yeah. And, and for me, I guess I was always going to think, you know, I didn't know how my friends would take it. I don't know. I'm sure some of my friends would think it was a joke if I just like posted a picture and didn't say a certain something. Right. 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 Uh, which is kind of sad in its own way. But, um, yeah. So I, I for a long time, thought I was going to post something long and serious and, but then the closer and closer I got to it, I was just like, you know what? Like, this isn't just about me coming out. It's me. If I'm going to sit here and try to be an advocate for normalcy of same-sex couples, why would I miss this opportunity to just show the world, like, oh, like, I don't even need really to come out. I just need to show you that I'm in a relationship with a guy. Um so for me, it was much more about that. And as far as the caption, I think it's cliche to be like, oh, well, why should we have to come out when straight people don't? Like, I know the world isn't to that point yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. But I guess I just wanted people to think like, you know, because I knew that would be a response for a lot of people is, oh, like you didn't tell me earlier. I was like, yeah, like I didn't. Right. Uh, I, I don't feel entitled to tell you. Um you know, again, it's not like I've changed as we talked about earlier. It's not like some drastic, something has changed. This has been me since you met me 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was much more about that. Um, and yeah, I mean, the support has been wild and still continues to be wild, which kind of blows my mind. 
So when you uh, when you when you post it, are you are you nervous or how are you feeling? I mean, does it feel like a weight off your shoulders? Oh, so this is the best part. Um, so we decide. So I think we posted around like three o'clock on a Sunday, and there was no school, no work the next day for Martin Luther King. Okay, and so we posted it just randomly somewhere. We were walking around somewhere just under Washington Square Park in in New York. And then we just turned our phones off and went to have a drink, watched some football. We went to Central Park, um, went to a nice dinner, and we kept our phone off for the vast, vast, vast majority of the night. Um, just in a kind of way of, you know, like, just a way to kind of separate and make it more about us than having to worry about, oh, like, someone posted something that, or someone commented something right. that I don't like, or this, that, or, or even worrying about it. Yeah. But of course, but of course, in the back of your mind, your your phone's still off, and you're like, "Oh my god, like what's happening on the other side of this phone right now?" Yeah, of course. Um, but then when we turned it on, I actually waited till the next morning to turn mine on. I, the willpower that you have is something that I can only dream of. Um. Yeah. Well, when you pair it with a couple of drinks, it's a little bit easier. No, uh, it would be harder for me. Are you kidding? After <laughs> after a couple of drinks, I my that phone will be on. I'm telling you. Yeah, I mean, we ended up going out as well, and then you know that helps time pass a little bit. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, think, I applaud you. I, I wish I could. I wish I could be like that. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a, a very fun thing. We always give each other a hard time about like being on our phones and like trying to be in the present, and that was just a great example of of being able to do that. And it was honestly probably the first time I've turned my phone off in like a year. Like I even sleep with it, you know, just on, on silent, but actually turning the phone off. Oh and, yeah. You know, the the amount of times I probably just out of natural instinct, you know, grabbed my phone out of my pocket and like press the home button and it didn't turn on. I was like, oh, yeah, like I'm not allowed to look at my phone for the rest of the day. <laughs> That's uh, great. I need to take that lead more often. Um, It'd be yeah. that thing so, where I like turned it, I, I would like turn it off and like, you know, hours later turn it on, just be prepared for a flood of texts and calls and there wouldn't be anything. It was funny. I actually opened Instagram the next morning. And it said I only had like 40, like I get the little notification that pops up on the bottom. It's like, you have one comment and 42 likes. I'm like, oh my God, like the world hates me. Uh, <laughs> and then I like went to my profile and like refreshed and like saw all these people who I didn't even know, like commenting or DMing. And it was just, it was just awesome. I mean, we, I, I knew my close group of friends would take this well. I had kind of told like a group of 20 or 30 that, you know, this was going to happen and, you know, they had all been on board and, you know, supportive. Um, but I thought this would stay within kind of my friend group or my extended friend group. And so to wake up the next morning and have messages from people in like Argentina or China or just like just the strangest but coolest thing. Um, yeah. So it was really it was really neat and it was really interesting to see how certain articles like made it into print and like the French press or just like the way it was translated. And, and it is a very translatable message and it's one that kind of transcends, you know, cultures and languages and things like that. So for me, that was a really cool piece of it. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I, I think you see how many people want to grab onto stuff like this and, and, and why it is so important that people like you tell your story because, you know, you see the reach that it had. It, it, it impacts and affects so many people. And, of course, you know, over the 
the past couple weeks, you know, you can speak more specifically to, to the messages you've gotten and stuff. But I think when you come out like this, whoever it is, you know, other people have been on this podcast. There's just such a craving from people, I think, especially young people to see other LGBTQ athletes. You know, it's just such a it's such a wonderful thing. And it's it's it's, you know, it you should be very applauded for, I think, doing it in the way that you did. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I think that was probably the most fulfilling piece of it was, you know, the messages from people like, oh, like this might be the motivation I need. I'm like so close, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I sat there one day for a couple hours, like genuinely tried to get back to everyone that left, you know, a supportive message because so many of them, you don't know at what phase they are in their own path. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool. And then for my boyfriend, actually someone that knew him really well, um, ended up posting something for herself. I think it was like two days later and then sent him this long thing. Like, you know, your post is what, you know, pushed me over the edge to do this. Like, I can't thank you enough for your bravery because it made me feel the same way. And I mean, to see something so immediate happen and so concrete happen. Um, it's amazing. It unbelievable yeah that's so great so uh you and i were talking uh before we started recording here matt and his boyfriend are, are as we sort of said just a little bit ago moving to new york which despite all that you've been through matt i i can imagine that the apartment hunt in new york city is probably the most difficult thing that you've been through thus far in your life it's it's incredible um there's really no other way to put it um i think i've gone to 20 to 30 open houses or showings oh, just within God. the last two or three days here. And of course it's five degrees outside there. So, you know, yeah, that you really, really picked a great time. Motivation. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's an exciting time. I'm interviewing up there as well, kind of at the same time and starting to, you know, we talked about the last year or two with the health stuff and stepping away from the game being a little bit of a challenge. I think, um, I'm just really excited to have, you know, gain a little bit more momentum and, know kind of go head first into some of this stuff and get the ball rolling again yeah so interviewing for what um a couple a whole host of things um mainly consulting Mm -hmm. um i did some finance internships during school which i didn't exactly love but (laughs) you know i love the pace of it i love the advisory piece of it um so i think something more in line with consulting is definitely where more of a true passion lies yeah that sounds great. I mean, it's it's going to be pretty exciting, I think, for you and, and your boyfriend to be in New York, sort of, you know, finally free of, of everything that was holding you back. I mean, it's got to be kind of such a beautiful time in your life. Do you think, I mean, what role do you think soccer will play, if any, moving forward in your life? I hope it plays a big role. Um, I do definitely see myself, I think, it's very difficult to break into certain sports roles at an entry-level position. Um but I see that as something, you know, sports business, sports consulting, or some some form of business that, that covers the sports industry I see in my future. I think it's sports are so ingrained in who I am as a person and, and in my past that I can't imagine not trying to get back into that. Yeah. But even if for some reason I, I don't, you know, I'll still try to get into you know, certain sports leagues and stay fit. And, you know, that'll always be something that's very consistent in my life. Even if it's just sitting on the couch for an entire Sunday and watching, you know, EPL games, transition into NFL games, transition into whatever's on at night. Oh, um, man. If sitting on your couch and watching sports all day makes you an athlete, I'm in the Olympics. Sign me up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm the yeah. best athlete of all time. 
<laughs> well, that sounds great. Well, you know, Matt, I, I think your story really proves that, you know, doing it your own way and in your own time uh, makes the most sense. And there's no right way to do it. No, no time that makes the most sense to do it. If you do it when it's honest for you, I think, you know, you prove that that's the way to go. And, and what a beautiful thing that that can be. So congratulations to you. And I, I know that everybody listening uh, thanks you for your story and, and for your for your bravery. It's you know, you're just hopefully one of, of many to come. And I think people will look at you and, and, and feel like, you know, it's time for them to do something. So congratulations to you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Of course, Mia. Thank you so much for your time. Can't wait to see uh, what you do next. Good luck finding an apartment. I do not envy your search, but when you do, please let me know. I will. I will. I'll, take I'll, I'll, I'll update the listeners. There's going to be a new segment, Matt's Apartment Hunt in New York City. Yes, I'll take all the luck that anyone will give me. So <laughs> okay. thank, thank you very much. All right. Good luck, Matt. Thank you so much for the time. We'll talk soon. Of course. Take care. much to Matt for his time and his story and for everything that he continues to do. Thank you to you, the listener, for listening. I appreciate it. I hope you got something out of the conversation. Best of luck to Matt in his apartment search in New York. I don't envy him in that respect, but uh, I am envious of, of the life that he's about to create for himself. It's very exciting. So thanks again to Matt for the time. I really appreciate it. Until next time, this is Daniel Trainer for Same Team signing off. Bye.